near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Near-Death Experience Podcast, item number 367, December 3rd, 2021. The NDEs of Leticia V. and Virginie R. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. I'm going to ask your apology for the uh, Emperor's New Groove playing in the background. I hope it's not too loud. Um, Hopefully you can't hear it at all, but I can. So Today we're going to share the experience of Letitia from endearth.org, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website. Letitia says, In March 2003, I remember my son was four months old at the time. I had been sick during my whole pregnancy because of my gallbladder. At the time of the pregnancy, I constantly had feelings of faintness. The doctor thought that it was some kind of disease connected with the pregnancy. After giving birth, the faintness with loss of consciousness continued. During a test, the cause of my fainting was discovered. I had emergency surgery because gallstones were blocking the common bile duct. The surgery was from 8.30 a.m. until 21.30 p.m. I came back to a room with a gastric suction tube through my nose. I remember that I couldn't breathe anymore, but I couldn't move, and I felt that my strength was leaving me. I was thinking that I was dying and thought about my son. The next thing I know, I went outside my body. Then I was in a dark tunnel with people wandering around. At the end of the tunnel was a very beautiful and luminous light, but it was not dazzling. The closer I got to this light, the more I felt relief. I felt a sensation of being loved, which I missed so much at the time. I felt very satisfied and finally happy, which was something new for me. I had positive feelings that had such an intense depth that words do not exist to explain it. It was more like I was sensing it. I entered the light without any fear. While I continued my way in this light, a silhouette came from above and blocked the way to the light by coming in front of me. I was surprised to see my whole difficult life scrolling before me and I said I don't want to relive this life is too hard and I started crying the silhouette told me it's only up to you to change things 
You can help many people as your soul is pure. You are needed on earth. When he told me that I was needed on earth, I immediately was thinking about my son. Then I found myself moving backwards, but in a vortex. It was a little like what you see in science fiction movies. Then I heard myself in a room. I'm looking around and seeing my body on what it looks like, a, on what looks like a surgery table. But considering my medical experience, it resembled more of more a room for defibrillation than a surgery room. As I'm watching the situation, I see a nurse and a doctor. I hear a lot of people talking in a very noisy room next door. I feel the panic in this adjacent room from the screams and crying. I'm coming back to the room where my physical body is, and I see the doctor. He starts saying, It's done. We lost her. He looks at his watch and the clock on the wall in order to pronounce the time of death. At that moment, the nurse asks the doctor, Please, doctor, try once more to shock her. She's only 21 years old. She's too young to die. The doctor looks at her and says, Unfortunately, I cannot resuscitate people. But okay, as you insist, we will try one last time. I see him going towards the big machine. Then I come back into my body. As from this moment, I don't remember anything anymore. While being transported in my, into my room, my roommate said to me, What happened to you? And there I understood that something strange happened. As the nursing staff was talking about me, they were saying, She's coming back from far, the young one. When trying to ask questions, I got evasive answers. With time, I realized that it is sounding false, as this is not logical. That is the end of Letitia's account. Now, Letitia's experience is, is both beautiful and comforting and, and, you know, fascinating, but there isn't a whole lot about it that stands out compared to other near-death experiences. And certainly our point is not just to point out strange and un, you know, unheard of new ideas and so forth. We want to share these things as, you know, as much as possible at whatever, with whatever they share and so forth. But uh, sometimes when they're very simple experiences, I will, I'll, you know, skip over them just because there's so many to share. And we, you know, I try to focus on ones that are going to, you know, offer either, you know, insights or, or perspectives that, uh, that, go beyond just that I saw a light, felt love, and came home, um, which is great. That's that I, I wouldn't, you know, uh, think any less of an experience for that. But as far as sharing it, this one stands out to me for one simple reason, and it's kind of similar to the one we read last week, uh, which was that this silhouette that she's encountering, this spirit being of sort, as she is talking to it, and she doesn't want to return, she says, I don't want to relive this. Life is too hard. And she's seeing this life review go before her eyes. 
and she doesn't want to relive it. She says, life is too hard. But this being says to her, quote, it's only up to you to change things. You can help many people as your soul is pure. You are needed on earth. And then next thing she knows, she's going back. She's being sucked back. Why would the spiritual being or this, this person say this? It's only up to you to change things. You can help many people as your soul is pure. You are needed on earth. What do we know about Letitia up to this point? Well, first off, very little in terms of uh, her, you know, former life and so forth. She's pregnant, so, um, and she says, I remember my son was four months old at the time, and I would... I had been sick during my whole pregnancy. So she had a son. She was a mother. Um, it doesn't say whether she had a husband or any, any other family. All we know about her life so far is, is that she had some suffering because of her gallbladder and, you know, around, surrounding her pregnancy and so forth. And also that she, when she sees her life review, it is not something she wants to re-experience because it's, it's, it's a difficult life. It's a hard life. She says, I was surprised to see my whole difficult life scrolling before me. And she says, I don't want to relive this. Life is too hard. We're not talking about someone who has, you know, spent time working with the disabled and, and, you know, teaching and touching lives and, and turning worlds around for people, you know, unless she did and she just didn't notice all that stuff, I get the impression she just had a hard life, a hard life. Now, if you can't relate to that, if you are kind of like, well, I haven't had a hard life, my life has been great, then you're probably in a situation where you can be doing a lot of good with very little effort if you choose to, okay? I'm talking specifically to those who, like Letitia, have a hard life. One that you wouldn't want to come back to if you found yourself on the other side. This spiritual being tells her, first off, you can help many people as your soul is pure. I do wish we knew more about Letitia, because what does that mean that her soul is pure? I don't know. But I suspect that she tries to be good. She tries to do good. She's needed on earth. Somebody who has probably not been heard of, uh, uh, you know, not a, not a household name, but she is needed on earth. And then the biggest thing of all is that first thing. It's only up to you to change things. Why would the spiritual being say to her, it's only up to you to change things? She's the one having the hard life. She's the one who's suffering. She's the one who's struggling. And now she's a mother with a young four-month-old child. And, you know, if for any of you who have had a child that age, that's pretty much your life for a long time. And yet she's needed here. Her soul is pure. And it is only up to her to change things.
when you think about the struggles that you go through, if you were to see them on a in a life review of sorts, would you be more, more inclined to say, wow, I can change things, or be like Letitia and say, I don't want to relive this. Life is too hard. But Letitia, that is her response, and she is told, it's up to you to change things. Does that mean she can change everything in her life? Of course not. Does that mean she can change other people? Well, no, that's not what that means. But it does mean that there are things she can change, and that it's up to her to do it. I would pass that message on to each of you. You are needed on earth. And it is only up to you to change things. We talk about how we are all part of this grand wholeness, this this source, and that somehow we are all connected as if we are one being experiencing life from all these different perspectives or something. And, And what all that means, we don't know. But we do know that we come here as individuals and experience life as individuals. And as individuals, we are needed here. And we can change things. We have more power than we think we do. Let's read one more. This is a shorter one. This is Virginie. I assume that's how it's pronounced. Spelled like Virginia, but with an E at the end instead of an A. Virginie says, I left my body when my heart stopped beating and I flatlined. I was rising up to the level of the ceiling and I saw my body in the intensive care unit. I went into a tunnel. On each side of the tunnel, I saw deceased members of my family. They made fun of me. I heard very soft sounds and saw radiant colors that didn't dazzle me. I was advancing towards a very bright white light at the end of a tunnel. My little brother Philip, who died 12 years before, took me by the hand and was smiling at me while taking me in front of the light. A strong but not nasty voice asked me why I wanted to die. I answered that the absence of my little brother was too hard for me and that my mother felt resentful towards me because of Philip's death. Philip died of leukemia at age of seven, and I was not compatible as a marrow donor. I said that I took all the medications that I could find in the medicine chest, and that my mother didn't do anything to stop me. I know that it was God talking to me, as he said that I had to go back to my family, that I would give birth to six children, and that I still had a mission to accomplish. I wanted so much to stay there because I was surrounded by unconditional love. But I saw my lifeless body as well as the doctors doing everything to reanimate me. I brutally came back into my body through the top of my head and I opened the eyes. I was crying a lot as I didn't want to come back. That is the end of Virginia's experience. And very, very similar to Letitia's experience. 
Virginie finds herself facing God, as she believes it is, and being told, being asked, why do you want to die? She says her little brother's death was too hard. He was seven years old at the time, she mentions, and that uh, her mother feels resentful toward her because of her little brother's death. And he, she was not a compatible marrow donor, which is interesting because it makes me think, what well, was the mother? <laughs> but uh, it's obviously not Virginie's fault that her, her brother died, but her mother is resentful to her about it. Whether her mother knows it or not, that's not what we're here to talk about. She kills herself as by taking all the medications in her medicine chest. And as she says, her mother didn't stop her. She feels like there's nothing to live for. Even her mother doesn't want her around. Her life is hard. Does that sound familiar? Life is too hard. She says, I know that it was God talking to me. And he said to go back to my family, that I'd give birth to six children, which itself is a purpose. But he tells her that she still had a mission to accomplish. A mission to accomplish. You have a mission to accomplish. I don't know what it is. Only you and God can decide that together. It may be a calling. It may be something that you feel pulled to do. It may be something that you are, that your passions and your interests, your desires lead you toward. My guess for most of us that have a passion towards something, for example, I have one toward gardening type things and animals, plants and so forth, that it may of itself feel like the calling but in reality, the true calling will be the people that we encounter on the way, the lives that we change, the hearts that we turn, the animals, the plants, the whatever it is, the life that we make a difference for. I suspect that that will be the, the real purpose. And I'm not one to suggest, as I've come across many of these things, and and I'm not sure that heaven always has a very specific, articulate, clear route to how we are to accomplish our mission. I don't think that most of the time that we are given a mission that's like, okay, on this day, this will happen. You will accept this job. You will talk to so-and-so in the street on this day, and this will happen. It could be. It could be. There's certainly enough evidence to suggest that could be. But I think more likely we are given a call to teach because something inside of us needs to teach. Or we are called to help children because something inside of us reaches out to children. We are called to cheer people up and make them laugh. 
because we feel drawn toward that. And in doing so, we will come across the people that God needs us to meet. There will be people at times when you are in the right frame of mind because you have got, been guided by your gut, by the spiritual promptings within you to get to where you are, to act the way you do, to become what you've become, so that when those people come along, God can say, step into this person's path. And when they step into your path, you will do what you do. You'll make them laugh. You'll reach out to them. You'll say hi. You'll befriend them. You'll teach them. Whatever it is that you're feeling called to do, you'll be there to do that call for them. And God can send more and more people your way. You may touch them for a day. You may change their life. It doesn't matter. And why doesn't it matter? Because every instance of every day is a moment of light, is a moment of truth, is a moment of change. And you are there for it, for everyone you ever encounter. Every person that you meet on the street was placed there to meet you. And you were placed to meet them. Every person you pass on the stairway was sent to pass you at that time and that place. And that you were sent to pass them equally. Now you can delay it. You can put it off and decide, you know what, I don't know, now's not the time. And you can pass people and, and walk past them and all these people who are sent to you and all these people that you are sent to, you'll miss those opportunities and you'll have to wait for those opportunities to come again. And perhaps they will, perhaps they won't. It doesn't actually matter because the point is to be constantly striving to live for love, to love yourself, to love your family, to love the people around you, to love the work that you do, to have gratitude for the life that you live, to change the world around you for the better, to be what your life needs to be. And only you can make that change. And it's okay if it takes 85 years. It's okay if it's done in one year of childhood and your life is forfeit after that because of an accident or a sickness. <clears throat> it doesn't much make a difference how you go. If you're living for love, for God, then your life will be absolutely worth it. You will make a difference and you will change lives, especially your own. And with that, thank you again for listening. Chaz and I thank you for listening to Near Death Experience Podcast. You can reach out to your hosts by using Chaz, C-H-A-S, at ndepodcast.org and John, J-O-H-N, at ndepodcast.org. You can text or call the show at 970-633-2278. That's 970-NDE-CAST. Calling allows you to record your message in three-minute increments. If your message runs longer than three minutes, just call back and we can splice the segments together. 
Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching NDE Podcast on those sites. And join our Facebook NDE Podcast community. Please leave feedback for the show on iTunes or via whatever application you use to listen to us. Doing so will allow our audience to grow and help spread the knowledge about spiritually transformative experiences to more listeners. You can help keep the show financially viable by purchasing Chaz's music or his book under the store link on the ndepodcast.org website or by going to patreon.com slash ndepodcast where you can make a one-time only donation or become an ongoing supporter. Whether you decide to write or call us or you choose to support the show either financially or by writing a review or by listening and sharing us with others, we are so humbly thankful for you. We can't begin to express how much touching you spiritually means to us. Chaz and I thank you for joining us. We hope you keep listening and applying the understanding you gain from the show about your existence after this earthly life so you have a better life right now. And to love one another. This is your host, John Messer, reminding you that it's all about attitude and gratitude. And our attitude should always be love.